Welcome to the Modern Investing with Side Pocket podcast, where we find some of the brightest minds in investing, entrepreneurship, real estate, tech, and more, and ask them, how do you stay financially ahead of the curve in the dynamic world we live in? But before we start, a quick disclaimer, the content we are discussing through this channel should not be understood or construed as financial advice. Regardless of anything to the contrary, nothing available on or through this channel should be understood as a recommendation to buy or sell securities or constitute financial advice. With that out the way, let's get started. Today, we have Patrick McCarthy uh, on the show here. Patrick is a fractional CFO and angel investor committed to supporting 1,000 founders over the next 10 years. Patrick is a value-add investor offering capital and CFO services. Welcome to the call, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Excited to have you, man. To kick this off, would you mind kind of sharing your background story, how you got into investing and talk a little bit about what kind of what your approach is, what, how would you characterize the type of investor you are? For sure. For sure. I think, yeah, my background in investing started early. My probably similar to many millennials, there was a stock trading game that we played in computer class. That was basically a paper trading. So I spurred that interest pretty early. I think that was sixth or seventh grade. And just, I didn't have any money to invest. I didn't have pocket change to invest back then. But over time, that really developed into wanting to have a better understanding of the markets. So I eventually went in, out to study finance at Fordham University. Career and thoughts on investing split in two ways uh, at that time. One way was to look at the public markets right? And what's out there uh, and available to every retail investor. And also I began to generate an interest in private markets, considering I was mostly working at startups. The fun part about private markets is you can't participate until you are an accredited investor. So that took some time to, to build up over my career to get there. But the other side, the public markets investing has always been an area of interest. I've always been heavily into technology, technology stocks. Uh, almost to a fault, but that's where the, it all started. Awesome. And because uh, I know like crowdfunding is huge now with Reg CF, which allows non-accredited investors to participate. Have you been engaged in crowdfunding as well? Maybe prior to becoming a credit investor? Very engaged. Yeah. That's where I really started investing in startups. This goal that you mentioned in my profile to, to help a thousand founders, I consider investment and sweat when I'm talking about that. The goal is to invest or work for a thousand founders and be just be helpful in that way over the next 10 years. On the investment side, I did start with Republic in particular, and then eventually I included some WeFunder. And generally, I am a big fan of those platforms. I think it's a, they worked hard to get the Reg CF passed and to build a platform around that really weird part of securities law. And I think they, they all did a great job. I think the problems with those platforms are the same as any investment platform where the actual securities themselves may be of high or low quality. They control the offerings to an extent. I think Republic usually touts a very small percentage acceptance rate for their offerings, but there's still diligence to be done. Just a public market portfolio, right? You're just, if you're picking individual stocks, there's due diligence to be done on your end. And that does not change. And in fact, should be doubled when looking at private companies. Yeah, for sure. It, WeFunder makes it super easy. I, I also got involved a couple seed rounds there. 
Uh, really great platform. Real quick question too. It, when, because I, I know you have, you, you had, you mentioned you're in your career, you know, you got into, uh, of course, bachelor's in finance and, and then got into, got involved in startups. When, when was that point where you started basically looking at it more from an investor perspective than from somebody working in that space? That makes sense. Yeah, that was fairly recently. I think I spent most of my career at a company called Spoken Layer, which was a podcasting startup. Mm-hmm. I spent about four and a half years there. And through interaction with our investors, I was the, the VP of Ops and Finance. I was the only finance person on the team. So I did a lot of the investor relations and, and just seeing the work that VCs do. And I also helped pitch Spoken Layer when we went out for venture fundraising. So I did about 400 pitch meetings opposite VCs and realized I'd much rather be in their seat eventually than in the uh, the founder's side. But it's pretty an interest in the space. And I did a lot of work to see what the math looks like with a small check size, but a large portfolio. And I based a lot of that research on a white paper that Angelus put out that basically confirmed what a lot of people at Venture had already thought is that the more deals you have, the more potential exposure you have to the unicorns that make or break a venture portfolio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that, that's really, yeah, where it is to create a nice diversified portfolio of great deals. You're not just putting money in anything, right? The chances of one coming up will make up for all of the other losses. So a, a lot of funds have their own thesis. Like what, what's, what's your current investor thesis or investing strategy? That, that you're sticking to when you're evaluating deals? And, and how did you come to develop that? Sure. I think I can go through both my thinking on public markets and private markets. I'm, in private markets, I am generally sector as agnostic. I'm open to looking at almost anything. There are certain things I don't think are worth time. Folks looking to build, looking for venture fundraising for things like content, right? Raising money to, to create a production, but I'm pretty much, I'll pretty much look at any pitch. And really what I'm looking for is the right founder, right? Why is this founder working in this space? There should be a good reason. It should be a passion or a preference of theirs, and they should have the background to, to pull it through. The other thing I look for is the right price. In 2020, End of 2020 through 2021, there was a huge um, markup in venture capital, basically across the board. Founders got very generous valuations on their companies. That's flipped back in 2022 and 2023. So generally, I don't invest in anything above a $20 million valuation. So the math there is basically, I think that's the max valuation where my check size actually gets me enough equity to eventually get a payoff someday. Beyond that, it doesn't really, it begins not to make sense based on the size and average scale that these companies will get to. Mm-hmm. And then the, I, the third factor that I really look at is, am I excited about this? I usually want to invest in things that I think are awesome. I don't think anyone, that's not true. I'm sure people get excited about more B2B SaaS tools, but I'm not one of those people. Uh, and they'll probably end up making a lot more money than me, but I can't get excited around B2B SaaS tools for the most part. There are Everybody's got their game. Everyone's got their game. So what that has led me to is I'm invested pretty heavily in climate, pretty heavily in infrastructure, pretty heavily in fintech. 
and now more and more AI, but that space is going to have a lot of froth over the coming two years, given what's happening with ChatGPT. Yeah, for sure. A lot of excitement around that. Yeah, when people get excited, I usually get fearful. Sounds like uh, Warren Buffett is. Yeah. <laughs> Just the basics. And I think the opposite is true for me right now in public markets. I, did, I think right now there's definitely a buying opportunity in a lot of places. In my experience, it's been a rough year, especially I'm pretty heavily invested into tech. My portfolio does not look great right now, but looking across the companies, they're all still throwing off record profits. Most of them are shedding employees right now, unfortunately, too, which for an investor is great. As someone who doesn't love when people get laid off, it's, it sucks. But from an investor's perspective, their record profits and, and they're spinning off expenses. Definitely a buying opportunity. I think most of what's been shed over the last year and a half is excess valuation that they were getting because of how frothy the markets were. And we're getting back to reasonable PE valuations for most companies. Yeah. Like the, the fat's been trimmed and now it's like you said, like a, a good time to, to look for, to find good deals. Good time to look for deals. Absolutely. I think in every market, public and private, I think this is, a, I was talking to a, a social media founder the other day and you know, I had to remind them Facebook was founded in 2002, 2007, 2008, right? Massive opportunity comes at these times. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And would you, so would you say your, what's your strategy, at least in the public markets? So I know in private, there's a lot less liquidity or more in it really for the long term. Mm -hmm. The same over in, uh, in public markets as well? Yeah, I generally am a long-term holder. Uh, I'm looking for companies that when I ask myself the question, will one, will this company still be around by the time I'm thinking about retirement? An old, boring question, but I think one of the most critical ones for people to answer. And two, if they are going to have that longevity, are they going to be dominant in the space for that amount of time? And there's always surprises. And I think the way ChatGPT might disrupt Google to me is a surprise in my portfolio, right? Google, to me, was always a long-term hold, given how dominant they are in search, all the built-in unfair advantages they have in search. Yeah. But that wasn't overnight, but it changed pretty quickly. I'm reevaluating my Google position as we speak. Probably going to try to sell at least a bit of it and take some of those profits and reinvest into people who are building cool things in AI. Just try to follow the... It's hard to keep up. If you're not doing this every day as a professional, which I'm not, I have a, I run a full fractional CFO business as my full-time job. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard to keep up with the pros. And so you have to make smart, long-term decisions. You can't really let your emotions get the best of you and, and follow the streams, the AMCs and game stuffs of the world. You're not going to be faster than the market. Yeah, I think what you just said there was really, really key right there. It's, it's hard to keep up with the pros. And that's, I think that's why it's always been the, the long-term game has always been the easiest and, and most prevalent because it's the easiest to manage if you're not full-time investing. And whether it's specific companies or sectors or ETFs, wherever that space is where you can just find a way to siphon off some money, give it exposure to the market, keep regularly putting in dollar cost averaging 
And that's where, and then if you want, if you're like a fan of certain companies that where you're paying attention at a high level and, and kind of watching the players and the landscape kind of shift, but with a long-term perspective, uh, because so much happens in the short term and, and, and the more focused you are now, the more things you have to consider, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. You're not fully in the game. Absolutely. And if you're not looking at it every day. And there's also something to be said that to having advantage of not looking at it every day, right? There are many psychological studies about, there's a reason people always recommend just set it and forget it, right? It's yeah. so that you won't look at it. You'll just let it sit and grow, let it compound like it's supposed to. Whereas folks who look at it every day, it's a roller coaster, right? If you're looking at charts, if you're looking at technical analysis, every chart looks like a roller coaster, right? No matter what company it is. Even the ones that look like a line straight up into the right, within that line, there's dips and bounds and jumps. So it's, I think, critical to always, as a retail or individual investor, to take a long-term outlook because it's the only way you're going to win. Yeah, it takes the emotions out. Yes. Forget it. No, that, that, that's key. And, and no, thanks for sharing that. I think those were some really good, good insights there. What are you working on like today that you'd like to share with the audience and get the word out? Yeah, my, my business is primarily two things. I, I run a fractional CFO service. I work with founders ranging from pre-seed all the way through series B, usually zero to about $20 million in revenue. And I'm a full stack finance department unto myself. Really helping folks get in ship shape to raise venture capital. I've helped raise over $40 million at this point for client companies and just get their financial operations to a place where eventually they can hire a junior employee to handle it. So that's the bulk of my business. And then, of course, I'm writing angel checks on the side. Anything under a $20 million valuation, like I said, I'm happy to talk almost any space and industry agnostic. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, you definitely super passionate about everything you're doing. What, what, like at the end of your life, what do you want to be remembered as? What do you want to be remembered for? Yeah, I think if, when I was making this transition into fractional CFO work, this was a, a big part of the thinking, right? And part of the goal that we talked about at the beginning of the, the podcast of supporting a thousand founders is really building an ecosystem of support. And I think that's what I'd like to be remembered for by family, friends, colleagues, as, as, as someone who had their back, was behind them and, and helped move them forward even just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We, we all appreciate people like that, especially if they're coming at the, the right time. And when it's like, there's not much support and those people in your corner still there, that that's awesome, man. And, and now basically, I know you've uh, had some exposure to side pocket. And what are your thoughts there? And in the grand scheme, I know you're looking at fintech deals a lot. You know what's out there. Yep. Your thoughts and perspective about what SciPoc is, what we're up to there, and and how our tech works and everything. Yeah, I think of you guys as leveling the playing field in in a different but very similar way to the way crowdfunding has has brought access. I think you guys are bringing access to something your everyday investor can't get today. And I think that's critical to change how wealth works in this country. Private investment and the strategies that are available on onside pocket tip haven't been available to retail investors for the last 
I don't know, since the SEC was formed. It's a whole new world, a whole new level of opportunity. I think folks really need to consider breaking out of the 60-40 d stocks and bonds portfolio to try to find a way to build wealth. Got it. No, I re- really appreciate that. That's definitely definitely on point. That's, that's what makes me most excited about what we're up to is just br- bringing this out and making investing a lot easier and, and improving performance for people. And yeah, no, and it's always great to take like a o- old industry and revive it in a unique way, expand it. And yeah, we're having a lot of fun. So I really appreciate that. And yeah, no, and thank you very much for your time, Patrick. Really appreciate your support, man. Thanks again for hopping on. Same here, man. Have a great one. Thank you. You too, Patrick. See you. This podcast is sponsored by SidePocket, the only automated robo-advisor on the market that combines multiple tactical asset allocation investment strategies to generate returns. If you don't have the time to professionally trade and you're tired of being at the whim of the market's ups and downs, Consider using SidePocket to automate your investing. SidePocket monitors the markets and automatically rebalances your holdings each month for you to maximize returns while protecting against losses. Losses are not a one-to-one relationship. When you lose 50% of your portfolio in a bad quarter, it requires 100% return the next just to break even. That's why SidePocket applies sophisticated quantitative methods, including tactical asset allocation, to systematically minimize these drawdowns and consistently protect and grow your hard-earned savings. To learn more, visit SidePocket.com.